You're listening to Integration Redesigned, the podcast that unpacks ideas, trends, and topics that directly impact developers and tech professionals. Join us as we learn from experts who are innovating and developing emerging tech with the world's leading brands. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Integration Redesigned podcast hosted by me, Kate Port. I am joined today by Alicia Dixon. Alicia, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Of course, happy to have you. So Alicia is an e-commerce product powerhouse, leading product management at a number of companies. Um, And so Alicia and I have known each other for a number of years, and I'm very excited to have her on the podcast today. I think let's start with an easy one uh, just to get everybody warmed up. One of your favorite projects uh, that you've worked on or products that you've worked on as a product leader. What's the one that comes to mind? The one that comes to mind, I'm going to date myself with this one, but it, it is still my favorite. And um, I'm kind of telling myself because I, uh, of the timeline, but I worked on um, one of my first big projects. Uh, project or product jobs was working for a subsidiary of United Parcel Service. It was called Ruinant at the time. And we worked on uh, Motorola handhelds, like these large brick um, mobile computers that were $2,500 each at the time. And, um, you know, they didn't really have a screen. They had all these keys on them. They were, they were huge and very expensive. And all of my clients who would run the software had to buy both the software, which was proprietary software, only ran on specific models of uh, handhelds that we approved and had tested on. Um, would have to buy these things. And since they were such an investment for the software and the hardware, they keep them until they died. So they were intended to run like five years and keep them 10 to 15 to make sure they got their ROI out of it. So when Android and uh, it was the um, the Nexus uh, Android phone was like coming out, I w- convinced my leadership that, hey, these things are too expensive. We can get them to get a phone for like a quarter of the cost of these handhelds. So I, me and my lead engineer uh, and one other engineer, we all kind of as a gut project worked on converting my application that ran on these like Windows CE to an Android application uh, that we could put on the Jars phone. We got it. a couple of our really good clients to beta test it. And they actually, my understanding is until a couple of years ago, they, they were still using that base that we had for Android as the Android app that was now the lead product at, at the company. So that was my favorite because getting to convince leadership, hey, we should go in this direction, selling it to customers, having that, you know, wink wink inside thing with the engineers that they we knew what we were doing but it wasn't something that we publicized throughout sales and everything because we didn't want people to start selling it yet yeah that was that was like my real favorite the product that i've ever worked on i wonder if part of why it was your favorite is because not only because of what the output was but maybe because of the the way that it came about right you're you're truly solving a problem in that case where you're saying look too expensive. Feedback is coming in. Um, you know, tough to update, tough to manage, and and then we're able to flip the script and say, hey, let's let's get something out there that really solves some of those problems. And and it's pretty rewarding when you can do that. Yeah, it was. And the 
the, uh, the feedback from the clients who actually tested it was phenomenal. Like they were like, we don't care if the driver drops this because we'll just go buy another one as opposed to what with the other computers that they were using. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild. I mean, I remember one of the first projects that I worked on as a product manager had to do with a product that was a physical CD-ROM install. Now, if you look at our machines, like my computer doesn't even have it. I don't even think I could play a DVD if I wanted to right now. So it's pretty, pretty wild how technology changes. I would imagine that over your career, um, we've had to balance, I know I certainly have, hey, we're doing all of these new innovative things, but there's also this underlying portion where you have to keep the lights on. How do you as a product manager elevate that conversation so that people don't tune out when you're not talking about innovation, but they they lean in recognizing that, okay, we're balancing innovation and exciting with the, the baseline must have absolutely necessary. So I think it's really two things. First is making sure that you talk to your audience and that you uh, adjust your communication language to the audience you're speaking with. Like an example I gave a moment ago when I was talking to my engineers, you know, we were all, we knew with the software very deeply. We knew the, uh, what features and functionalities we need to use. We knew, we understood that we couldn't just like port everything 100% from day one. So that was very easy to kind of slice out what we're working on. But then if I was to talk to somebody else who wasn't that deeply involved, I would tailor it and probably use an analogy, something like we need to crawl, walk, rhyme, or the, talking about building the foundation of a house. And okay, we're, we're right now, we're just building the foundation. We, we're not ready to get to like the upgrades, like the brass and the polishing yet. Oh, it's in the bathroom, we make it marble. We're, you know, we gotta make sure that we, we've got the base in there. So tailoring your language, um, in your communication would be the first thing. And the second thing that I would say is to make sure that you're solving a problem, like we talked about with the first example. So making sure that it's something that you can bring back to your audience to relate to, to say, okay, remember, this is what we're trying to accomplish. This is the problem that we're trying to solve. So when everything else, it, you know, people start to diverge and you can't get them on the same page, Bring it back to, okay, remember, this is the thing that we're trying to accomplish. This is the problem we're trying to solve. And that helps to bring people back to focus. One thing in particular comes to mind from my past, particularly related to e-commerce, which is everything has to be fast, right? We There was a stat several years ago where Amazon said that they lost millions of dollars for every millisecond that their site took to load. And when I think about keeping the lights on, that's sort of one of those things where you're not it's nothing innovative. It's nothing sexy or shiny, but it's something where we're saying, look, this is the core problem that we're solving. And so I love that you tie it back to that core problem of speed matters or whatever the objective is, because that's really what matters. The technology, not so much, even as product people, where we would love people to care about what we're doing. Um, but I, I don't remember who said this originally, but I read it again recently. It's it's something that comes up on social for, you know, the product communities every now and then is that people don't buy your software. They're buying a solution to whatever they, they're looking for. So that's another thing to try and keep in mind is like, people don't care that it's Amazon. They care. I need this thing for like whatever event I'm doing. Their right. Whatever purpose. So, right. Right. Yeah. We're, we're not thinking about, oh, I've got to go to, just a great, great call out. Um, so 
one of the other things that we talked about when we caught up is, and you and I have very different product experience. I mean, I think every product leader will have different experience, but we both had overlap in working within a space where we were supporting a business versus building a core product. So for the audience out there, an example might be the difference between working for Google building product versus Costco and maybe supporting their e-commerce site or transactions, et cetera. How have these experiences been different for you? I think the biggest difference is that sometimes you, the fight for resources is, takes a little bit more because you're not the core business. Um, so you have to push and, and really drive to say, okay, this is important. Don't forget about this. And, and that takes time. It's really important. Um, the, on the positive side, though, is, uh, for example, um, I in my past life, I worked for Hilton. Um, when I was working for Hilton, I was specific to working on the digital key. And we weren't selling hotel rooms. I was being held accountable for that. If the, the digital key, when the app wasn't working, I, I was held accountable for that. But if you're working for, say, one of the online travel agencies and you're not booking, that is on you. That as the product person of your sales aren't there, why aren't you converting? Um, you know, if, if things get bad enough, that impacts people's bonuses and even their jobs. But when you are in a non-traditional tech company that the tech is running the business as opposed to is the business, it gives you a little bit of a different perspective. Um, another aspect of that that I want to make sure we don't forget is also the partnership is very important, but the people who are in sales or merchandising who are in charge of what the product is, you have to be in lockstep with them because they, they have the product that the company is actually selling. You have the technology product that supports that. So you have to make sure that you understand where they're going so that you can tailor your technology to also be supporting that and growing into up. I mean, I think it's so interesting, right? If you think about e-commerce, you can work for the company that's supporting the, the e-commerce or the commerce aspect of it, or you can build the software. And you're absolutely right. You're going to get very different resources because those two companies are going to have such different priorities. The fight for resource is very real. Um, taking it a different direction, how have you had, how have you negotiated for those resources? Uh, sometimes you just have to be a jack of all trades and show some incremental progress of, hey, look, this is what I did on my own. If I had this other stuff, guess what I could achieve? Like it's, it's really... You can't just promise it and expect people are going to be bought in. You have to show some type of indication of what they're going to get as a return for investing and in giving you the resources that you need. It's always been really challenging for me to get those resources and get that buy-in, especially when it's asking questions on, okay, well, when are we going to get this and how many resources? And if I add two resources, does that mean I get the project Twice as the fast, right? I know that's where you're going. <laughs> yeah, because because I think that there's a gap in that logic. Um, yeah, for sure, sometimes they just they don't understand that there's 
you know, steps in the process. Like you can't just throw engineers at it before you have a designer. It's like, well, the engineers aren't going to know what to build. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and and there's this misconception that product people have the solution. And the reality is that we just highlight the problem to be worked on, right? We highlight um, the problem and we hopefully bring out the best in our team where the team contributes and everybody can come to a solution as opposed to I'm the person with all the ideas. That's not great product. Yeah, I, I, I say that to people all the time. Like, I'm not Steve Jobs. You're not going to find, like, the brilliance. Um, but I can certainly highlight what the problems are. You're not the oracle on the mountaintop? Yeah, no, I, I <laughs> wish I was. But I think I would be, it would be a very different life if I, if I were. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so last thing, years ago, we met through the Boston product community, Twitter, um, when we were talking a few weeks ago, and this is sort of that human element of our conversation, we talked about how, I don't want to say the pandemic because we're sort of out of it, but this post-pandemic shift to being inside, working remotely, right? I'm in my home. It looks like you're in your home as well. Um, there's a, When I talk to people, particularly recently, there's a gap and there's a desire to connect more to people, but on a different level. Everyone is, you know, writing things and books and podcasts. I mean, here's a perfect example, but I'm missing a little bit of what are the new strategies coming out, right? We talked about some books and, and strategies that have existed for a long time that haven't necessarily been updated. So if you had one or two tips for the people listening, or even for me, um, what are the things that you're doing to keep connected and keep yourself updated to the product community about the latest and greatest? Um, I'm actually going back to the basics because there's so much out there. Like product management, I think Rich Marinoff, my mentor, uh, did an article that said product management is sexy. And right now, there because it's sexy, it's well-paid, people think that we have a lot of power. Um, it has attracted a lot of people. And so with that attraction, there's like just explosion of horses and can like people are trying to monetize off of, off of products. Things that we used to do, like going to free product camps, don't happen anymore because it's no longer, uh, oh, I just want to get better at my job because I'm by myself type of thinking to uh, somebody's like, what, what kind of intri- income screen, income stream can I create for myself? So um, for me, I there's so much noise with like having tell someone who's got a good book or a good YouTube channel versus somebody who's just trying to get money out of it. So I've just, I have actively stepped back from participating in like Slack channels and, and, uh, I'm not even on Twitter anymore. I've stepped back in the social community. And I've gone, when I say go back to the basics, I'm going back to what we did a couple of weeks ago and just talking to the people who I already know and sharing and kind of committing myself to make sure at least once or twice a week, I'm reconnecting with somebody else who I know who's doing this and could have challenges that I can relate to. And just having like 20 to 15, 15 to 20 minute conversations and connecting and sharing real life examples as opposed to trying to you know prove that i'm 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 the person who should be everyone listening to as a thought leader i'm really concerned about connecting with my peers on a one-on-one level and supporting them as well as getting support 
I think it's perfect because so many people out there are positioning themselves as experts, which I'm sure that in certain things they are, but the humbleness that you provided there where it says, look, let's have these more intimate conversations, one or two people and say, hey, you know, what are you learning? What are you hearing? What are you experiencing? Because there's a very real impact to, I think, not only your career track and being able to come into the product community, which topic for another day, um, but but also growing, right? B- career growth becomes really challenging because we're all like, what are we really giving and providing and 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 offering? So um, I love that. And I think just as much as we say as product people, we want to talk to customers weekly or daily or whatever your target is, there's also this aspect that says, well, how are you growing your career? And are you thinking about the latest trends and topics and, and bringing that into your day-to-day efforts. And I I love that goal of, hey, can I have a 15-minute conversation this week because it feels manageable. Yes. Along those lines, though, I will add one tidbit of information that I got from um, a a leader whose name I won't mention. But um, if you were trying to get in the product 10, 15 years ago, everybody was just trying to get to the same companies. And it was all about, these are the best product companies, go here. I feel that uh, it has changed that it now the way to go is to find a product leader, find somebody who you really want to work with. So find someone whose style um, and thought a lot of thinking matches with your own and go work for that person and learn from that person because companies are so dynamic nowadays. They're constantly changing what was a good product organization this year might not be a good one next year. Uh, but that leader is going to hopefully invest in you in your career. And it might be a relationship that you take to several different companies. So uh, that's one recommendation I do. I I love that one. I think aligning with smart people is no matter what role it is, uh, you're going to find that. So also another another good tidbit. Well, Alicia, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'm so glad we were able to reconnect and you were able to join us for this podcast. I'm sure that we will be in touch, but thank you for joining. I appreciated being here. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Integration Redesigned. To learn more about how DigiB can help your team connect and integrate systems at scale, visit digib.com. Thanks for listening.